one thing that I've always shared with people is that, you know, it's, it is important to see senior leaders who look like you, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to see senior leaders like yourself that look like um, sort of some of the underrepresented uh, minorities in business. Welcome, bienvenido to Mass Impact Podcast, where we uncover stories of empowerment, innovation, and diversity in the world of tech and business. I'm your host, Monica Hernandez, Latina software engineer, turn founder, CEO, and philanthropist. I'm here to share my journey and amplify the voices of trailblazing leaders from diverse backgrounds who are driving meaningful change. Get ready to be inspired, educated, and empowered. Together, let's make mass impact starting now. Lee Henderson. Lee is an assurance partner with EY with 28 years of experience working with entrepreneurial private companies and large multinational public companies. As America's EY private leader, Lee works with teams to support high growth entrepreneurs and middle market companies. He is also the executive sponsor of the EY Entrepreneurs Access Network, also known as EAN, to which I belong to, an immersive program that provides Black and Hispanic Latino-owned companies with access to the EY entrepreneurial ecosystem and resources. Lee is a board member of the Robert McCormick Foundation and Big Shoulders Fund. He is also a self-proclaimed sports fanatic. Lee and his wife, Kim, are the proud parents of two daughters, one at the University of Miami and the other at Johns Hopkins University. Lee's favorite quote, a life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. Jackie Robinson. Hi, everyone. Very excited to have Lee with us. Um, I was trying to remember the first time I met Lee, and it was in Palm Springs, California at SGF, one of the most amazing experiences that I've had. And I was there because of the EY Entrepreneurial Winning Women, but Lee told me about the one similar program for Latinos. And since then, I just see him advocate for diverse entrepreneurs, so very happy to explore this topic with him. Welcome, Lee. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. And, and Monica, first of all, you know, you know, I just love what you're doing as well and, and how much I admire you as an entrepreneur and, and what you do for, you know, Latinos, you know, both here and, and, and back home as well. So, you know, it's always been a pleasure, you know, knowing you and, and, and I'm just so honored that you, that you invited me to just, um, you know, have a conversation with you about a topic that I think both you and I are passionate about. Now, thank you. Very grateful for you and for all EY does for us women and Latinos uh, in the business world. So let's start with your backstory and maybe you can also uh, help us understand what EY does for diverse entrepreneurs. I know there's plenty of that that you can share with our listeners. Yeah, yeah. So I'll start off with, with um, you know, what we do for, for uh, diverse entrepreneurs. You know, we've been recognizing at EY entrepreneurs for you know almost 40 years now like we you know formally like we, we are it's it's an area like we are passionate about you know our eoi program has been around almost 40 years 40 years you know 15 years ago plus or so we started the winning women program and and the reason why we started that monica was just because and, and you know you're a part of it right 
this was because years ago we saw that there was just some real um, significant needs and gaps that we saw in women entrepreneurs and just how they scale their business. And we we're looking at these amazing women com companies and we're like, okay, how is this company not scaling at the same pace? And what we saw, there was just a gap. Years later, you know, um, three years ago, uh, we started our Entrepreneur Access Network program, which was, you know, a similar accelerator program for black and Latino entrepreneurs. And we did that for the same thing. There were some real acute needs um, in that group that we recognized and we figured we had a platform to, um, to help. So the way those two programs work, Winning Women in, in, in EAN, we call it Entrepreneur Access Network, is, you know, we give a lot of access to resources. So trying to level the playing field, you know, mentorship, a networking opportunity. You talked about we met at um, Strategic Growth Forum. You know, we bring 1,500 people together just to kind of mingle in the business. We educate, we train, we, we give some glimpse on access to funding. We promote our companies that we help big time. And I feel like just being a part of some of these discussions, I think overall, we just, there's, it's a safe space for these companies to, and these entrepreneurs to talk about their challenges and successes, you know, without the fear of judgment and, or bias, which being a diverse person, you know, you know, we often have. So, so that's kind of how we're helping. Um, you know, in terms of my backstory, you know, um, Monica is, you know, just, just a little bit backstory. You know, I was, I was born in, born in London, raised in Jamaica from two to 13 by my grandmother for the most part, lived in the U.S., Oakland, California when I was 13, college um, in the U.S. And I started with EY in 1995 now. Um, so been a long time and been able to, to live in some really amazing cities, San Jose, California, New York, London, Chicago, and had some real um, roles. Um, Jamaica, I was raised by my grandmother. You'll see a lot of what I talk about in terms of who I am as a person has a lot to do with my grandmother. My dad as well was, was, was important. Um, but, um, you know, my grandmother raised me for a number of years and, and she was my role model. She, you know, she was, she wasn't, you know, super well formally educated. Um, she had, you know, she was cleaning, I think, houses at the beginning. But, you know, when she passed away, you know, because of her work ethic and everything else and entrepreneurship, you know, she had business interests all over the place. We had property all over the place that she had pulled together. And through that whole time, seeing my grandmother, you know, um, sort of get to that success, she was always humble, always generous, um, always respectful to others. So I feel like that's sort of me, you know, at the core and try to, it's a legacy that I've tried to sort of um, to, uh, to lead on. Um, but I tell you, you know, we, oftentimes I talk about, you know, resilience and, and I've heard you before ask me about resilience. I think that my resilience was really tested. It's a real pivotal time of my life at 13 when I moved to the U.S. You know, I moved to the U.S. when, you know, it wasn't as connected. Was, we didn't have cell phones right. and social media and computers. <laughs> And, you know, I was 13. And you know how 13-year-olds are. That is, yep, my daughter is 12. I and, know. <laughs> and imagine 13-year-old that don't understand the world and don't appreciate differences. So I was just this, you know, skinny black. I wasn't just a skinny black kid with Coke bottle glasses, but I had the weird accent. I didn't understand baseball, football, basketball. I didn't know any of the teenage traditions, you know, sort of from the mid-'80s. So it was, it was, it was challenging, but, I, but I, I wouldn't do it any other way because I feel that that experience – is really what molded me to be the person I am in terms of at core today, right? So I think it was a really important experience for me. No, thank you for sharing that. It's amazing how uh, most people have this one figure that was so influential in their lives. Uh, to me, it was my mom. And you know the story. She gave me this yep. computer when I was a quinceañera and that really got me into technology. 
So that is really beautiful that they get to shape who we are and, and what our aspirations are. So you started talking about being 13 in an unfamiliar world. Let's switch to belonging because you've been at EY now, what, 28 years 20 or years. so? Mm-hmm. And you're this uh, senior leader, right? There's probably not that many people that look like you or were with your diverse uh, sort of experiences. Tell us what that feels like and what advice do you have for other leaders that may not realize that they can too build the amazing career that you have? Yeah, you know, I, I would just say, you know, when I, when I think and talk to folks, I would always say, you know, just um, your difference, in my view, I always say it's your, it's your superpower, right? So I always just say embrace that difference because it is so important. I think that the differences that we have and the world is catching up with this, right? It's the source of information and fresh ideas, right? When you bring that difference. I think in the past, and I know you moved here um, also from another country, Monica. You know, when you show up here, you sort of like, let me sit in the back of the room and just be quiet and just take everything. But I think that it's actually the opposite that we need to do is show that we are different and that we do have a different perspective. And I always say, like, for me, um, and I know a little bit of your stories, we can't do it without mentors and allies, right? I mean, we cannot, it, we can do it, but it's going to take a lot longer. So I do believe that, um, that, that having that is really important. One thing that I've always shared with people is that, you know, it's, it is important to see senior leaders who look like you, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see senior leaders like yourself that look like um, sort of some of the underrepresented uh, minorities in business. But I do think that uh, we have to be realistic that enough of those senior leaders don't exist. Like, for example, I had a lot of great um, mentors and allies who didn't look like me, but they did have the most um, important ingredient. And that's what I always say to people. Just make sure that you're connected to people who you feel really care about you care about your success and that they believe in you. And then the other things I would say, you know, Monica, is that this is really, really important. I mean, you got to stay intellectually curious and especially like, you know, for example, for like women in tech, like yourself, you got to be on it. The world is evolving. It is moving fast. So I, I just always say, I tell my kids, it's always be learning and not just at the service level, but I always say double click. My team's hear me all the time. Double click. What is like, what does that mean? You know, when we talk about AI, which you're talking about a lot now, what does that mean? And I'll also say just set goals, find your purpose and your vision. It was so important for me when I found like what I consider my purpose. It was my anchor point and everything else kind of became, it, it don't say it's easy, but it became easier because I kind of knew my anchor point and where I needed to be. And last, I'll say that the most important thing in all this is, and we're seeing this be more um real pronounced now is take care of yourself mentally and emotionally it's just really important because if you don't take care of yourself you know it just all this all this just doesn't matter so you got to take care of yourself well-being I was talking to my daughter earlier and she was talking about you know a situation with one of her classes and stuff and I told her, the first thing I said to her I said are you doing your Pilates she said I'm not sleeping well so you're doing your Pilates how's your diet so you just really have to take care of yourself. I think just everything else just kind of comes with that amazing advice let your voice be heard. Your difference is your superpower. And surrounding yourself with mentors and, and people who believe in you, um, that can make a huge difference. Asking for help. Sometimes we think that we need to do it all by ourselves. So you talked about AI and how fast things are changing. Staying curious could never be more important. Um, 
So actually at our company, one of our values is stay curious, right? Because whatever you know today might change tomorrow and it's learning and unlearning, right? So with how fast things are going and EY just made an announcement with this 1.4 billion investment in your new AI platform and you're around entrepreneurs a lot and some are like, oh, let's wait to see more controls and more governance and others are like, no, 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 the time is now. What's your take on it? You know, um, I, my, my take, you know, there's a lot of talk about AI and generational AI, metaverse and all those things. Um, what I've been saying to, to the people that I interact with and what I've been learning also, by the way, I, I learn and then I try to teach, right? Learn and then say it's bad to someone else is one is speaking of that is like, you got to educate yourself. It is so important to ensure that everybody, when you look at a board room or you look at your executive team, Monica, you know this. You got to make sure everyone has a foundational understanding of the technology in question, right? Because things are fast paced. You look at what happened in um, in Las Vegas with the casinos. Allegedly, nineteen and twenty year olds shut down Vegas, two of the biggest casinos, for um, for a day or two. If you look at the average age of S and P five hundred board members, it's sixty three years old, right? So now I'm not suggesting that you take a bunch of twenty year olds and, <laughs> and overturn. <laughs> your boards. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying is that this is why diversity is so important. We have a wide range of understanding of technology. If you ask 10 board members that's sitting in the same board table, what is generational AI? You're probably going to get eight different answers. So it's just really critical that people invest in a baseline knowledge of technology in question. And we're starting to see now, you know, a lot of um, S&P companies, at least that's what's measured, um, are getting standing technology committees and other companies are getting like what they call digital, digital directors. Now, I will, in addition to that, say that you got to keep your business goals at the core. And that's where the, the whole keeping up with the Joneses, Jones concept, like don't get caught up in the blinking lights of technology and start just adopting stuff just because you feel you're being left behind. Kind of the root of, root of your question. Keep your goals right at the center of the discussion. Figure out what you want to be as a company and then figure out what technology do you really need to sort of enable um, and make that more effective and efficient. And the last thing I'll say, and this is really probably the most important, Monica, that that, that um, underscores all of that, is risk assess. But I've got a I've got a little bit of a, a pointed remark to say on risk assess because we hear that word a lot. Consider data privacy, security, regulatory landscape, all that. But the risk mitigation strategy, which you hear all the time, I want to just tell you like what I think is omitted from that oftentimes. I think when companies talk about risk mitigation strategy, they talk a lot about how do attack and penetration, how do we make sure that no one can access our data? How do we make sure data isn't leaked? How do we make sure no one can um, attack our system? How do we make sure that? But here's the thing that's often omitted, Monica. The thing that's omitted is somebody's going to pick the lock at some point. I don't care how big that lock is. I don't care how much steel that you put around your system. Someone is going to pick it at some point because they are constantly um, um, updating and getting ahead of you. So the next level of risk mitigation is what do we do when that happens? And I don't see enough um, boards and management team talking about that. They talk a lot about how to make sure the lock is around the building. They don't talk about what happens when the lock is broken and all of our data out there. What do we do now? And then also I'm seeing a lot of trends in terms of people really being concerned about the ethical implications of collection of data. Like, you know, these Gen Zers and some of these um, younger folks, they don't, 
they, they, they're, it's interesting in terms of just the way they view things. So it's, it's really important to understand what do your employees, customers, and your suppliers feel about your collection of data because not everyone is on the same page in terms of a lot of data is good data. They're, they really want to know where you're getting that data from and, um, and how you're getting it. Yeah, excellent points, Lee. I talk to CIOs, CTOs all the time, and some are very well versed on, you know, what the technology can do and how they can apply it to their business. Right. Others are kind of asking, how do I use AI? And I'm like, is that the right question to ask? Yes. What business challenges do you have and how can we apply the technology to That's it? There's right. got to be a, an actual goal that we have, right? right. Uh, so yes, I love that. But speaking of ethical considerations. And this is also another example of why it's so important to have diverse talent building this sort of technology so that it is inclusive. What do you think about that and how can underrepresented talent can actually take advantage of this sort of wave of uh, innovation? You know, I think that the way um, they can take advantage of it is, is, is it's doing a couple of things. One is, you know, if you think about where we are now with AI and all the technology, there is some real democratization of data right now, right? So the information that was available to like billion dollar companies, you know, back in the days and what they spent billions of dollars on to acquire is now available to our, our kids. Like Monica, our kids can get some of the same information yeah. if they find the right tools and they have, you know, a little bit of money to do it. So I think that is a huge, huge thing. I think that, um, the, the data, and I shouldn't say the data, but just technology and AI overall, it's lowering the bar. And lowering is probably not the right word, but it's changing the barrier, I should say. Lowering the barrier, mm -hmm. not the bar, but lowering the barrier for aspiring entrepreneurs. And now young entrepreneurs are using AI to tailor products and services. They're doing marketing campaigns through it. They're, they're enhancing their customer experiences to it. And, you know, Years ago, in the past, when you were dealing with a small company, you kind of knew you were dealing with a small company. Nowadays, you really can't tell. It's hard to tell whether you're dealing with a Fortune 500 company or you're dealing with a family business or a scaling startup. So I feel that the, this whole democratization of data and democratization of technology is becoming a really powerful equalizer by um, just increasing the affordability and accessibility and thus shrinking the gap. So this is going to bode well for, um, for underrepresented groups because it's just some of those groups just traditionally did not have access to the advanced technology and data. And now that barrier is starting to lower. So watch out, right? I mean, it's going to be interesting. No, I love that because Lee, it took me five and a half years to become a software engineer. And so now you can write code in minutes, in seconds, right. sometimes, right. but it, right. it also implies that the critical thinking and the creativity and yes. the ability to ask the right question, right? The better the questions, the better the answers. That's right. That That's becomes right. really important <laughs> so for engineers. So there's been some uh, debate and some conversation around how businesses may be focusing too much on diversity and inclusion or ESG. Um, why is this important to everybody? You know, um, I think that um, I, I don't, you know, with respect to, uh, you know, the focusing too much, I do feel that um, 
I don't, I don't believe that DNI and business results are like kind of in conflict with each other, right? I don't think we're really doing um, too much in that. In fact, I think they're really complementary um, to each other. And I just feel that um, when you have, uh, when you have inclusive culture, I think you just get better outcomes. I think we've data has proven that you get better innovation, more product problem solving, better understanding of customer experiences and Navient cultural um, nuances. And, and I, and I do feel like it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's just easier to acquire talent and retain them. I do though, here's the thing, um, to your question though, Monica, here's the thing. I do feel that we have to strike a, strike a balance. And when I say this, I feel that leaders should start aiming and thinking more holistically um, and integrate DNI um, seamlessly. I think that we've got to get off the view of initiative because that's what creates that feeling that you just had in terms of are we doing too much? Well, it's always an initiative. Nobody wants to do an initiative all the time. And I think initiatives, first of all, for DNI, I think that thing is like 10 years old, right? I mean, that's just so yesterday. So I do feel that companies just need to just take the whole initiative thing off the table and just say, let's challenge our commitment and just start holding our leaders around, leaders around the table and look around the board, look around the board table and just say, and have an honest conversation. What does DNI mean for us? Instead of sort of in the corner saying, are we doing too much? Are we doing too much? What does it actually mean for us? What should it mean for us? And how do we set a tone? And I feel that if we do that, I think you will, uh, it will reduce some of the sentiment that, you know, are we doing too much? Or are we, is, is, are we focused on diversity too much? And all those sorts of things. So I just think we got to build it in more, make it less of an um, initiative. And, um, and I feel that we will um, turn the corner in a better way from my perspective. That's great. You know, we are now in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month. Yeah. And I was speaking at uh, one of our clients. They have a Latino business resource group. And they're one of the leading financial institutions globally. And they told me that their Latino group is 27,000 people. Wow. So I think it's also a business imperative to make sure that those 27,000 Latinos in that company feel included, feel like they right. belong, right? And same that's for right. African-Americans and women and people from all diverse backgrounds. So that's great. So let's talk about success and failure. You mentioned resiliency as a founder and tech entrepreneur, 10 years that we just celebrated. Um, I'm very fortunate to have been seeing some success, but it has not been without challenges. Can you share with us some of those challenges, failures, how maybe those led to some success? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I will. And, and can, can I just go back on the question that you were asking? You were talking about well, the, 20, the company with 27,000 yeah. uh, professionals. You know, I, I do want to make, you reminded me of one comment on this, right? So when I think about this, so there's been this view of affinity groups, right? We have affinity groups in the, in the firm. They work uh-huh. um, sort of with mixed results. I do feel that you know, when those affinity groups were put in place years ago, they were, for, they were for the right reason. I think they're still for the right reason. I think in some companies, I've seen them lose their effectiveness a little bit because yeah. um, I do feel that um, it is important that everybody feels um, like they belong to a, a broader group. Um, and I do feel, though, too, Monica, that when you have a sort of a, a Latino affinity group, like, okay, we all know we belong to this group already. So uh, are we just sitting around and talking to the people who look like us, who think like us and so on? I do think where, where, where the shift is needs to be made and where I've seen the most successful is that you start to take these affinity groups, which still should be in place and say, how do we integrate allies into some of those key discussions? 
that's where I see it starts to make a big difference when you have that is like you take these affinity groups and say, okay, for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, uh, a black professional, you know, I'm a part of black affinity groups. All right. So is it just a bunch of black folks sitting around talking to themselves and just saying like, Hey, this all needs to be done. Or should we bring <laughs> our allies into this conversation and say, let's help you understand, tell me your perspective and we can tell you, you know, our perspective yeah. and create this real, create a culture where the employees are really encouraged to uh, engage in these conversations and develop cultural competence. When you, when you really create a culture and encourage people to engage in these conversations, you move the bar and not just let's get away from it. It's kind of taboo to, um, to you know, sort of keep it real about what people feel about this. So anyway, so I'm yep. sorry. No, that's really powerful. I'm glad no. you said it cannot be a check the box. You all go meet in your yeah, own meetings right. and not make anything happen. No, I love right, that. Right. Thank you, you know, for sharing. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're talking about success, you know, successes and, uh, and failures and stuff. You know, I feel that, um, you know, I talked about, you know, 13, being a 13 year old coming here, I would say that was the personal piece. I think from a professional piece, you know, I do have a, um, a point where I felt like I really turned the corner as well. You know, in 2006, 2006 was a big year for me. So I'll tell you what happened in 2006, Monica, right? Okay. So I moved my, you know, my family um, to uh, to New York, you know, with the firm. The firm asked me to, to, to move to New York. We moved to New York a couple, with a couple babies in my life, right? Um, in 2006, I get promoted to partner. In 2006, nice. I was then asked to move to London. Yep. In the same oh. year, right? So uh -oh. seven months. That same year... You know, I was um, um, asked to be responsible for one of our large accounts um, across Europe, right? It was a U.S.-based account, but a global account, bigger global account. So says, hey, you manage across Europe. So Munich, you're going to pop into Milan, London, which is where uh, we were going to start living, um, uh, Netherlands, uh, Amsterdam specifically, a number of places around Barcelona. No, no, sorry, Madrid, a number of key locations. And I looked, I was like, I'm a first year partner. And I remember going back to the mentor thing. I said to my mentor, um, I said, John, I said, I'm a first year partner. I said, with this responsibility, this is crazy. Like, I feel sort of overwhelmed by it. And I remember right. seeing a couple of things to me. He said to me, he said, Lee, first of all, you're a partner, right? The difference was first year partner, partner. He says, you're a partner, right? Yep. Promote a partner because you're supposed to be a partner. He says, secondly, is that we wouldn't ask you to do something we didn't think you had the ability to do. Two. And he mm. said, the third thing is, we're not going to sit here and watch and let you fail. And, hey. um, and that was really important. And that shows like, the power of how mentoring, because those are just words, right? But I knew that yeah. they were from the right place and they gave me the motivation to do it. But the action that went into that, it didn't come without some bumps, uh, Monica, because I was like, you know, I was all over. The, I was going to countries that I'd never been to, the cities that I'd never been to, and, and trying to influence people that were already leaders to say, hey, I would like to help set the direction here. What I did learn through that was the real cultural piece I learned through that was the reason why I felt like I ultimately was successful in those things is because I really learned to embrace the differences. Going back to my 13-year-old self, I learned to listen and learn, right? And ask to be taught in terms of what works in these places. And when I start, started doing that with intention, I was able to break down some barriers that I felt initially, like amazingly. I have one quick story mm. to tell you. So I remember going to Germany, right? And I was in Germany, I was in Munich. And I knew, I spoke, you know, I, I took German in school, right? I had a couple of words here and there. I was throwing them out when I went to Germany. And I got to Germany. I was in this big room, um, this team that I was supposed to be leading. 
It was a partner there as well. So I left, came back to London to my office. This partner called me and he says, Lee, he says, hey, just want to give you some feedback on the meeting. So he said, like, look, the team really enjoyed meeting with you. But he emphasized it like he was trying to tell me something else, right? So uh -huh. I, said, I said, just say more. Like, what, what do you mean? He says, no, uh -huh. we hated you. And I said, he said, you know, you came here and you addressed us in German and you spoke German. And I said to him, I said, I won't say his name, but right now, but I said, hey, I said, I know, but my German is horrible. And he said to me, he says, I know, but that's not the point. He said, the point is that you tried, you tried to engage with us. And that showed us that you had an appreciation, the level of respect for us culturally. He said, because look, a lot of your American colleagues come here and they live here for two or three years. They won't speak a, um, a word of a word of German. So I feel that that was one of those situations where I was heading for, it was tough, some tough turbulent times. And there were some things that I was taught, some things I reached back to my old self, some mentors that I reached to, to sort of help me create some allyship within that new group and then sort of overcome it. So what that's really helped me do, Monica, that experience, I feel that there's not a lot of situations now after that, bumpy as it was, that you can put me in is I have a level of confidence that I can get out of it. So I always tell people, step outside your comfort zone because when you don't feel a little bit of discomfort, just like if you're working out in the gym, then you're not really growing. So if you want to feel like you're growing, you got to feel a little bit uncomfortable to really start growing as a person and in your career. That's just so powerful. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Words can be so incredibly powerful. It can make a difference between saying, I'm done, this is it. Or, you know what, done that, I learned some, I'm going to try again. So I love the power of words. It drives our, our behaviors. And then the ability to connect with people. It doesn't matter if you're a leader, a software engineer, that will take you farther, right? That's and right. that genuine effort to connect at their level and speak some broken German. That's right. <laughs> I love that. Um, so we're getting here to the end. And you know, the podcast name is Mass Impact. Yes. And I've seen you on stage in California. I've seen you in Monaco. I know how much you do for entrepreneurs and the community. Tell us in your words, what are you doing? Um, to make mass impact? No, I, um, so I t tell you two things that ground me, um, you know, Monica on this, on the word, when you say impact, one is, um, the impact again, that I saw my grandmother make on so many people, you know, as I was growing up, right. Especially reflecting on it as an older person and seeing the situation that she was in, how she had the opportunity just to say, I couldn't do it. But she always did it, you know, and then there's a, there's another, um, anchor point for me. Um, there's a Jackie Robinson quote, that I probably say every day, if you know me for 10 minutes, you'll hear me say it at some point. And it says, it's a life is not important except for the impact it has on other lives. I truly, totally. truly feel that. And I just live my life that way. So, you know, really specifically, everywhere that I've sort of landed in terms of lived, I've tried to be engaged in the community. I currently sit on um, two boards in, um, in Chicago, one is Big Shoulders Fund, which um, which works with underrepresented um, neighborhoods, Catholic school, underrepresented Catholic schools and underrepresented neighborhoods. Um, and then, or underserved neighborhoods, I should say as well. And then the McCormick Foundation, which is a foundation that's sort of set up to do the same, set up for, you know, to make sure that there's economic, um, uh, equitable um, economics in, in the city of Chicago, as well as, um, as well as early education for minorities and things like that. So I've been really passionate and engaged in those groups. You know, but I say like in terms of mass impact, 
um, oftentimes when people ask me this question, how do you do it or what should I do? You know, I go back, I, I love quotes, right? And Michael Jackson, you listen to the, the song, The Man in the Mirror, right? I'm not going to sing it right now, Monica, because then you're going to hang up on me. You but, can if you want to. No, 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 you're going to hang up. Right? <laughs> um, it's uh, Michael Jackson that, in that song says, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make that change, right? And I really feel oftentimes at any point in time, I even tell my kids this, it really starts with you, no matter the small impact. We all yeah. have a responsibility. So if you believe in your self-worth, you got to do that first. Um, bring your unique perspectives to the table. You got to speak up. You said this earlier. Be an ally and encourage allyship within your organizations and make sure your teams, because we all have some teams, whether it's one person, 10 people, 100 people, make sure your teams are diverse and you are promoting inclusiveness of ideas and perspectives with, with the people that you influence. And then share your story, just like you do, Monica. And I think you do such a amazing job. I mean, the influence that you have, and and the uh, and how you've um, been such a positive role model for so many people has just been amazing. Oh, and part okay. of that is because people share you share your story. I remember when you told me your story, Monica, about um, your mother and the computer. I was like, wow, that is just an incredible, inspiring story. So I do feel that you've got to be persistent who you in, in sort of what you believe in, that, as you have, and never forget to celebrate the success and the milestones in the DNI journey, which is what you're doing um, with, um, with your podcast uh, a lot, Monica. So I just feel that by doing this, that we all can contribute um, to just creating a more equitable and diverse future in tech and in business. And in doing so, we'll just make the world a better place. So I love what you're doing. I love that you've asked me to, to you know, to join you. And, and I'm honored to, to do that. And, um, and uh, just, you know, I'm so proud of, of who you are and, and what you're doing, uh, Monica. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You really mean so much uh, to me, Lee, that you are part of my journey, you and the whole EY team. And uh, there you go. Find your voice. Uh, be persistent. Uh, connect with people and impact as many lives as possible. And I love the quote, by the way. So really appreciate you being here with us and sharing your uh, insights with our listeners. I hope to see you soon in one of the Y events. Yep. See you soon, Monica. Thank you. Take care. Muchísimas gracias. Gracias. Thank you for listening to our Mass Impact Podcast sponsored by Mass Global. I hope you're inspired to have more impact on your organizations, your community, and your own journey. Connect with me on LinkedIn for more valuable content and visit our sponsor's website at massglobalconsulting.com to explore how we help clients innovate while we drive diversity in tech. Juntos, let's shape a world where inclusion and success go hand in hand.